you know, we've, we've had some lessons on faith. We've talked about some, some things that are from obscure passages like Romans chapter 1 verse 17, which is from faith to faith, or we looked at Romans chapter 3 verse 27 and Romans chapter 3 verse 31 and talked about the law of faith and how we establish the law through faith and things of that nature and at some point you don't talk about it. You just got to live it. And I believe it's a good timing to have that short series of lessons in line of what we're looking at right now. I'm not sure, how many of you actually read the article, bulletin article this morning before? Some of you have. I think it's very good that you read that article before this lesson to give you a little insight as to what's going on in our nation. We're talking about Islam, and I've got to tell you that my heart and my soul is set on the Lord. And as we'll look at the very end of this lesson, you know, the warfare that we have is found in Jesus Christ. Our sword is the Word of God. That said, you've got to understand that we are at war at all kinds, whether it's atheists, talking about atheism, from atheism where those individuals do not believe that there is a God, among other individuals, aside from atheism, where you're looking at, in this case, those that will, in fact, kill us for believing that Jesus is the Christ. And that's where faith comes in. And so we're looking this morning at the doctrine and dangers of Islam. And when I say doc- these doctrines and the dangers, they're very real. I mean, when we look at the news every day, whether it's on your TV sets, on the Internet, on the radio, in the newspapers, there's something that we can read or hear about regarding Islam. And when we talk about these news that go on every day, a lot of naturally what we're going to get is the worst. That's why they make the news. You can talk to various Muslims and things of that understanding where many of them may be great neighbors and friends. I've had Muslim friends over the years. They're not very close as far as activities that we would ever do. We'd just be neighbors and what have you. We'd have Indian neighbors. We'd have neighbors of... No faith at all. But when it comes to understanding Islam, that's a very important thing for us with all that we're going through right now. In fact, I remember giving this uh, sermon about a year or two ago. I forget now. It was either 2010 or 2009 back in Georgia. And some of the research that I've done on some of the websites and the references that I make to various... um, Reference or passages of whether it's the Quran or what have you. Well, some of these websites that's supposed to be very moderate websites no longer exist. You won't find them. I find that very interesting. But I say that to share with you that it's time for us to understand. In, in other words, we all need to be doing our homework. It's not enough that you'll just hear it from the pulpit because you're only going to get just a fraction, a tiny iota of what goes on with the religion of Islam. And so I believe that if we can at least this morning just stir up your minds and note and open your eyes to what's going on. Things that are taking place right, right in our own yard, right? Murfreesboro. It's a big brouhaha over the synagogue, if you will. The mosque, I should say. Not synagogue, excuse me. The mosque over there and it's being built. And there's a lot to be said for some of these things because it affects our stand in the Lord. It will affect us from a very day-to-day, 
uh, lifestyle. And so I'm wanting for us to talk about some of these things. Arguably, and I say arguably because there's people that are going to argue that it's not the fastest growing religion in the world. It's arguably the fastest growing. Not by virtue of percentage, because you can just take a small little cult, and if it grows by five or ten people, that you can talk about exponential growth. So by sheer numbers we're talking about. The only number larger than the Muslim, uh, Islam faith, if you will, is that of Christianity and what's professed as Christianity. You're looking at 2 billion uh, professed Christians versus 1.3 billion from a worldwide standpoint. And so whether the numbers are true or not as far as it being the fastest growing, it's no doubt a very large number of people professing to be Muslims. And when we look at this, one of the things that to me is, is as a sidebar thought is that while many of these uh, growth numbers are taking place in third world countries and where there's a very high birth rate, that birth rate is even coming into Europe and the United States. You're talking about an average of six to seven children per family on average for those professing to be Muslims. Think about it. You go from six children to 36 grandchildren to 218 great-grandchildren, and then from there, you talk about multiplying. That's multiplying. Versus two, four, eight. That's a huge difference. And so we're talking about something that is affecting us right now in this country. It's just that, you know, we may not live in Dearborn, Michigan. We may not live in Kansas City. We may not live in some of the areas where the Muslim populations are, are larger than they are right here. But we need to understand it's a very fast-growing religion for whatever the reasons are. And as of 2008, that's the last number that has come out, and the reports every month refers back to 2008 report, approximately 1.35 million Muslims in this country. And again, these numbers are hard to, to verify because you can go to other websites. You can go to a number of them that deal with populations as far as the religion is concerned. But that's the latest number that we are given. And that doesn't sound like much in a nation of 300 million people. But I tell you, you go to parts of this country, and it's a very large segment of the population. And there's something to be said for um, a population where you're going to have more and more Muslims because of the Islamic faith and what it's going to demand upon daily society. So that's why we're looking at some of these things. So as far as the religion is concerned, when you take the name Christian, as wide and broad as that name is going to be, the second largest would be that of Islam. And so while it may not necessarily always be this case, you know, we could talk about other religions coming up, but this is one of those that will be very important. And when we have our Bible study in the auditorium class, those of you who have the books or you can get the books where Bill, Bill Ray is sitting in the back, um, pick up because one of our studies is going to be on Islam. But that's some of that background. Note the history of Islam. Just real quick, we're not going to get into great detail, but some thoughts. First of all, um, according to uh, information or revelations given, if you will, from historical books through the Quran and other Muslim-type books, it says it began with revelations on Muhammad's divine revelations when he was 40 years old all the way to his death in 632 AD. So you're talking about a 22-year period from 40s to his early 60s that he had these quote-unquote divine revelations. What's interesting to me is that 
When you look at and read the Quran, and I'm not sure if you've ever taken a copy of it or gone on the internet, read some of what's in the Quran, these revelations are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. And without going into the details just yet, and we're going to go into some details, we just don't have time. I mean, we could spend all our lives learning about the Quran if we wanted to. But the problem is that these revelations are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. And we're told that if any man bring any other doctrine, let him be accursed. In other words, there's no place for the teachings of Islam. It's false. It's wrong. And I'm going to show you why in just a, just a few minutes. We're told that, you know, this is the faith once delivered for us. And when we look at the law, Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 tells us the law was to bring us to faith. But when faith comes, we're no longer under that tutor, that law. The Quran goes beyond that. The Quran just looks at some aspects of the Bible as part of Scripture, if you will. And then there's more revelation some 600 years after Christ. Whereas Jude tells us it was once for all delivered to all the saints. The faith is. So we've got some things to, to look even from a historical perspective. But if I were to just digress for just a few seconds, Quran's history starts in 600. And the only reference beyond that back to Abraham is that God intended for the, the righteous lineage to come through Abraham's son named Ishmael, not Isaac. And history tells us very differently. When you look at the Old Testament scriptures, everything is running through Isaac, not through Ishmael. And historical records that take us all the way from the, the period of Abraham, some 2,000 years before Christ, all the way to, to, to when you get to the time of Christ, points in a different direction than what we have here. And it's not until you get to the 600s and then from then on, even to the 19th century, that you have these revelations or um, Muslim-like teachings that have been added since then. History just gives a whole different account. You're not going to find much in the way before 600 regarding the Islamic faith. And so, just from a background standpoint, we see that to be the case. But let's just look at some of the highlights, if you will, that pertain to the Quran and as well as the Bible and see how they just don't match up. They're very contrary to one another. Notice the first one. In the Quran, in verse 171 of the, well, I'll call the fourth chapter because you got all kinds of... It's going to be a cow or a woman or this or that. So I'm not going to name all those different kinds of chapters and how they're versified. But in the Quran, it says Allah is one. And that doesn't sound so bad. In fact, there are many individuals that say, we worship the same God. And brethren, that's just wrong. That's, that's not true. That's false. We're talking about two different gods because of the views that we have of God himself. In fact... When they say Allah is one, you can go to this verse in the Quran, and it will say something along the lines of, there is no such thing as the Trinity, and they'll use those words. So this is writings from the 600 AD, and what they mean by that was, they believed that there was a teaching among those who professed Christians, that the Trinity was the Father, the Son, guess what? Not the Holy Spirit. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Interesting regarding Catholicism. And so 
in the Quran, you'll read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and God. There, there's only one God. Allah is one. And so you'll have that. Well, the scriptures tell us, we can read in Colossians. We can read of the Godhead, if you will. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. With reference to a Godhead. Now, we might all have just different ideas about the Godhead, but in generality, we're talking about the fact that God is one. But John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, verse 14 says in John chapter 1. And so there is a difference, whereas in the Quran it says, desist. Don't say that there are three. Because when they think of three, they don't think of three as being one in the Godhead. They think of three gods. And there's only one God. And we agree that there's only one God. But we have scriptures that tell us, and if we believe the scriptures to be true, and I do believe that they are, that God is one. And how Jesus and the Father are one, sometimes it's hard for me to explain. But that's the difference between what the Bible teaches and what the Quran teaches. The Quran also says, Allah has no son. When Jesus was born, and you can read again in the Quran, when Jesus was born, he was born like Adam. That's what it says in the Quran. Just like Adam from the dust. And so there is no, quote-unquote, virgin birth. There is no, quote-unquote, direct father-son relationship. That's why the Jews thought Jesus was blasphemous when he said, he's my father. Blasphemous, as far as they were concerned. But there's a big difference between those two, where one says, Allah has no son, and the other, the Bible says, that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's rampant throughout Scripture. And so we have that. Regarding the teachings of Jesus Christ, notice this, and this is to me just so important. Just as I had mentioned that Jesus was born like the rest of man um, in the Quran, we look at other passages that talk about Jesus in his life. For instance, in the Quran it says that Jesus himself refused to be worshipped. Can you not think of passages in the, in the Bible where Jesus had been worshipped and, and it was allowed? Was there not a woman who took hair, her own hair, expensive oil, and knelt down before Jesus and worshipped him? Are there not demons who fell before Jesus? Are there not many instances in which that took place? Jesus didn't refuse them. But when you read in the Bible of angels, they refused them. When you read of the apostles, they refused such worship. But not Jesus. There's a very big difference between those two. And so we can see Jesus accepted worship. That's a very big difference. And the reason why is because we're talking about a religion, Christianity, that says, and this is what Kenny had read for us in John 14, verse 6, that says, no one goes to the Father except through me. No one goes to the Father. You cannot have access to God. If you call Him Allah, you cannot have access to Allah through anyone except through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. The Quran says Jesus refused worship because 
There's only one God, and that's Allah. Very different teaching. This is one of the most key points. This is so central, this last point, that everything that we do from the Lord's Supper that we partook of this morning to when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, everything is so central to Christianity. And the Quran says Jesus was not crucified. In the Quran, it'll actually say that there was one who looked like Jesus who died. That's very different. You see, our whole foundation rests upon Jesus dying and being raised from the dead, having the resurrection. That's the core of Christianity. It doesn't get any simpler than that. But the Quran says otherwise. The Bible tells us Jesus was crucified. And we can read of many, many passages of that being the case. And so when we read all these things, then what that tells you is that if we have a doctrine different, a teaching different than what the Scriptures reveal to us, just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through verse 10, if any man bring any other teaching, let him be accursed. Why am I bringing these things up? I believe every one of us needs to love our Muslim neighbors. I really mean that. And I say that knowing there are many who profess to be Christians, I almost don't even want to go to the graphic description of what has happened to those who profess Jesus' name in other parts of this world. And it's also happened in this country. He just doesn't make the news like others. But you lose your life. And the reason why I bring this up is because Islamic faith has no space for infidels in the religion. If you are not a believer in the Prophet Muhammad and in Allah as according to the Quran... You're worthy of death. There's no place for you to be alive in this world. That's not some Muslims that may say, oh, that's kind of radical, that's extreme. That's Islamic faith teaching. So when you talk about moderate Muslims, maybe there are moderate Muslims. Maybe there are quote-unquote liberal Muslims, but there is no liberal Islam. There's a big difference. And so when we're talking about these errors... Very important that we see that. Jesus died on the cross that our sins would be forgiven. But according to the Quran, there was no person who died for our sins. The Bible says differently. So when we look at these passages, whether it's in John 1 or Matthew 14 or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or Hebrews chapter 9, any of these passages that make very clear who Jesus Christ is in the Godhead, the fact that He is worshipped, the fact that he was crucified on that cross for our sins. And that in dying for our sins, we have hope of being with God in heaven through him, through Jesus. The Quran denies. The Quran also doesn't teach that Jesus is the only way of salvation as the Bible does. Instead, it teaches men to follow the teachings and life examples of Muhammad. I'll tell you what, if you look at his life, it was pretty bloody toward the end. 
Very different lifestyle. I mean, Jesus went so far as to say, you know, you protect yourself, right? You have your swords, it's enough. You don't need any more than that. Told Peter to withdraw his sword when he took the ear off of one of the men who was arresting Jesus. Very different teaching. Very different lifestyle. And so here then, if we're looking at Islam in, in a nutshell, if Jesus Christ is lessened in one iota, that he is not the Son of God, that he did not die as a means of crucifixion, and that he didn't die as a means of having our sins forgiven, anything less than that is anathema. You cannot lessen any of these things one iota. You cannot simply say, well, we believe in the same God, but we've got some differences of opinions. We're not talking about opinions here. We're talking about history that Jesus died and rose from the dead. We're talking about history as far as a teaching that says, this is what Christianity stands for, and people were willing to live and die teaching this. That's how important this teaching is. And anyone bringing that different doctrine then does not have fellowship with God. We cannot have fellowship with them. And while we see this Christian view towards Muslims, and this is, I was just nitpicking passages out of the Quran, just because I believe those are very important ones. Well, how do Muslims look at us? Not all Muslims are going to be what I'm going to portray here. Because I believe that there are Muslims that do not act out in terror against my Muslims. I mean, they exist. They're in this country and in other countries as well. But they're not the norm. When you're talking about the average Muslim who is going to be dedicating his or her life to the Quran and the Prophet Muhammad and to Allah through the teachings of the Quran, then what you're going to get is something very different. And that's why we have in our news whether it's the internet or TV or radio, whatever, many quote-unquote terrorist-like attacks or terrorist attacks, what we call terrorist attacks, then we've got a face that we can put to this quote-unquote terrorism. We're not talking about something that is abstract. But I speak only from the flesh from that standpoint because, again, as Christians, we battle different. We don't battle with swords. We don't take people's lives if they don't profess to be Christians. That's very different tactics than Islamic faith. Islamic faith, they'll take your life. You're not worthy of living if you reject Allah through the Prophet Muhammad. And so my question is, if there are people that are espousing, and some of it are our own governmental leaders in this country, maybe some neighbors, maybe some those who profess Christians to be Christians, is this a fair view, a fair and balanced view of, of Islam that is these non-acting Muslims regarding terror, regarding killings, regarding Sharia for that matter? That's the reason why I wrote the article for this morning. If you don't think that Sharia, which means this is the law based upon Muslim belief, and it's over a thousand pages long. You can read so many different laws. That Sharia, if you will, is the, the way in which they live. Kind of like the Old Testament was for the Jews. 
Sharia is for the Muslim. And it's coming to this country. People are wanting to bring it in. State of Oklahoma voted back in November to have the Sharia banned from them by virtue of an amendment to their state constitution. And other states were wanting to follow suit. But guess what? We have own government leaders not having any of that and keeping the ban from taking place. And we're having more and more as the population grows among Islamic communities that you're going to see Sharia being practiced on a day-to-day basis. Our own banking systems in this country has that. So there are dangers just from a citizen standpoint within this nation that we need to be aware. And so we need to, to note that because there are so many of these terrorist reports against non-Muslims, you know, how does it affect us as, as Christians today? And are these acts exclusively practiced out of defense? In other words, they're just defending themselves. Or are they going forward, marching, if you will, and proselytizing? And if you don't submit to them, that you will face the consequences, your own life. I'm proposing that that's what's happening in many places in this world. Muslims believe that their acts are actually done out of vengeance for many years of those who have been, who've oppressed them. That's what I've heard in articles that I've read. What you see is many individuals speaking out in these ways. Regarding the Western world, Hussein Masawi, this former leader of the Hezbollah, says we are not fighting so that you will offer us something. We don't want peace. We're fighting to eliminate you. That's what, quote. And I've heard very similar quotes in the United States by Muslim-speaking individuals. You've heard of the Muslim Brotherhood, right? That's all over the news nowadays, Muslim Brotherhood. You have many individuals like the Saudi Arabia family, individuals that have ties to or are part of this organization. They're tied with Egypt and the potential downfall of Egypt. And guess what? They're tied here in the United States. You go to Harvard Law School for that information. They accepted $20 million from these people so that Sharia could be taught in this country. That's amazing stuff. And it's it's right here on our footsteps of what's going on. We are not fighting so that you will offer us something. We're fighting to eliminate you. The Hamas parliament speaker calls all Muslims to kill Jews and Americans. That's why Israel is always big, big item news in the Middle East. And when I say Americans, that includes those in Europe, in Western Europe for that matter where the Muslim population is exploding right now. Nancy Perkins, American school teacher in Saudi and Kuwait, well, she was there. She says, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Daily, the imam called out for prayer saying, Allah Akbar, which means death to Americans. So this is not just something that is on foreign soil taking place, though. These are things that you can hear right here. Go to YouTube. There's videos. The, the main ones that you'll find is out of Dearborn, Michigan. But you'll find them in Kansas City, Missouri. You'll find them in other places in this country. And these are very open public protests with these very similar words. There are a couple of men that I've done some research on and some of the quotes that they have made. 
Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch says, The doctrines of jihad and Islamic supremacism threaten the peace and human rights of all free people. If it's not confronted and resisted, it will prevail. Now again, we're not in a carnal warfare. We're Christians. But I just want you to know what's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when at, at the current direction that we are headed as a nation. From our lack of evangelism and their lack, or not their lack, but their zealousness in their evangelism, if you will. And I use that word evangelism very broadly now. because It's very different than what they're doing. They have a very strong armed agenda. And we're very laxed in ours. Well, it's about this person, I believe, was a former uh, terrorist. Here's what he says. He says, what the West needs to know is this documentary on the reality of violence associated with the Islamic faith. Um, he actually went through an actual bombing before he realized what he was doing. And since he had become, if, if my information is correct, one who's professed as a Christian. This is what he's saying. What I'm, what I'm wanting to share these things with you, and the reason why I'm sharing these things with you, brethren, is we're going to have to open our eyes. You may not have a mosque, and I don't know if there may be one. I didn't research Franklin, if there's a mosque here or not. I know there are Muslims because when we went knocking on doors a couple of weeks ago, I, I met one. She was friendly. And so many times people say, well, you know, what does Franklin or Williamson County have to do with, with a sermon like this? It's just not necessary. I tell you, it's, it's wise to be proactive, to be circumspect, to see what's out there, what's coming our way, so we can deal with it. But deal with it with the love of Jesus Christ. Deal with it with a firm stand of truth. But deal with the idea that, you know, there may be someone out there who has a strong Islamic faith, and he or she may want your life to be taken if you're not going to accept Allah through Muhammad. You might be able to touch their soul. I pray that's exactly what we'll do. With this upcoming study that we're going to be engaged in, those fast facts that uh, Wilson had written in his booklet, we're going to be looking at different kinds of religions. This is just one of them. I want you to be serious about taking these books home, going through, doing a cursory study. I mean, you, there's not enough time to do a study on each one of these things in, in depth. But start reading, becoming familiar with the people that you're trying to reach the gospel of Jesus Christ to. In the case of Islam, I believe it is of utmost importance because of the way it's going to affect our daily lives. And that's why I'm sharing this with you. But to accept the Islamic faith in any form is to totally reject Jesus as the way to God. That's, that's a nutshell of the contrast between Islam and Christianity. And so our sword, as I've said throughout this lesson, is the Word of God. We need to be sharpening our swords, brethren, spiritually speaking. Know the Word of God. Know the truth of God's Word. Know the passages in the Scriptures that actually confront and destroy the strongholds of the teachings of Islam. And I believe then you can have the glorious victory that is found in Jesus Christ. So I, I say these things because, well, on one hand, I don't want to scare you. On the other hand, I want you to be not scared, 
But I want you to be aware. I want you to be, just stand up with your eyes open, not closed. Your ears open, not closed. And your mouths open and not closed. Too much closed mouths among Christians. If you want to see the gospel reach to the lost world, we've got to open our mouths. And one of the ways we do that is by even speaking to our Muslim neighbors.